This is Dr. Paul Sabin of North Valley Dermatology. It turns out there are a couple of new sun protective measures. It seems that exercise and caffeine together may be helpful in preventing skin cancer. Researchers at Rutgers University studied the effects of caffeine and exercise on mice as it relates to skin cancer. These mice were given water laced with low-dose caffeine, the human equivalent of about one or two cups of coffee per day, and a running wheel for voluntary exercise. This combination increased their ability to kill off sun-damaged cells by almost 400%. Now, this doesn't mean you won't need any other sun protection, and they still need to do a lot of research to see if it's true in humans. But the research looks promising. Be sure to grab that cup of joe before you go for your run or your ride this morning, and your skin will thank you for it. I'm Dr. Paul Sabin, and that's what's good for the skin you are in. If you have skin care questions, make an appointment today with Dr. Paul Sabin of North Valley Dermatology. Call Dr. Paul Sabin today at 342-3686. Again, that's 342-3686. St. John the Baptist Catholic Church of Chico is proud to help bring you Seeds of Truth. Heard every weeknight evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. St. John the Baptist Parish is a Catholic family community serving our area with a variety of services and ministries for both Catholics and the community at large. St. John's Catholic family welcomes anyone and offers a wide range of programs and ministries from prayer and support groups to socials and Christian cultural activities. Call the parish office for a complete Mass schedule or more information at 343-8741 or visit the website at stjohnthebaptistchico.org. St. John the Baptist Catholic Church welcomes anyone seeking spiritual fulfillment at Mass or Benediction or 24-hour weekday adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. Call St. John's Parish Office, 343-8741 or on the web at stjohnthebaptistchico.org for a complete schedule or more information. This is Seeds of Truth. Your host is Joe Holcraft. Doctor of Theology of St. John's Catholic Parish and the Sacramento Diocese. If you have a question or would like to participate in today's program, call 894-7325. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio and Christian Talk, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another weeknight, reflecting into the richness of our faith. We are still in our first uh, week of programming, new programming, and we are coming to, of course, an end to that week where we have taken five different uh, topics, if you will. This last uh, weeknight will be devoted to really preparing for Mass for those uh, Catholics out there who attend Mass every Sunday. Uh, this radio program is for you and for all Christian listeners. Ultimately, hopefully this program is serving you as well as essentially what this program is about is breaking open scriptures, breaking open the Word of God and just seeing what God has for us in 
the beauty that is the Word of God in sacred scripture. So, really, what we're doing here on this Friday evening is downsizing what we've been doing on the Catholic Hour. If you've been a faithful listener to the Catholic Hour, you know that that program was devoted to, for a full hour, uh, breaking open sacred scripture, Old and New Testament, so as to better grab a hold of that overarching truth of sacred scripture that indeed the Bible is uh, God's love story with man. Well, this program, again, uh, is a microcosm of that. We will look at scripture, focusing on certainly the readings and or reading uh, in light of the Old New Testament. And Tonight, we have the opportunity to do this with the seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time uh, with a focus on the Lamb of God, Christ given this title, the Lamb of God, and what does that mean? So, if you have any uh, questions for me, on Fridays, I'm going to be flying solo for the most part. I'll I'll be having some guests from time to time, but uh, as I've had guests with me all week on Friday... Again, I'm flying solo, so if you have any questions, email me at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com. Again, that's j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com. And if it's a question you have about tonight's subject matter in regards to the Lamb of God or anything that we take up uh, this half hour, great. Or if you have any question about the Catholic faith that you've just always have kind of wondered, well, why do Catholics do that or why do the Catholics do this, please don't hesitate to email me. Again, at J-H-O-L-L-J-M-J at yahoo.com. So, with that, what I'm going to do is go ahead and jump into the gospel. One of the things that's going to be different is I might not go through all of the readings for the sake of time. I'll just hit one or two readings. Certainly, uh, this half hour, as I need to, I'll go back into all the readings to explain the meaning of the readings that come to us from the Mass. But again, for the sake of time, we'll, we'll limit the actual reading of the text that come to us from Mass. So, uh, here tonight, I'm going to get started with uh, our Gospel, which comes to us from the Gospel of John, uh, John's opening chapter. So, if you have your Bible out there, if you can flip to John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, for he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend as a dove from heaven and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Amen. So, off the top, John's account of the baptism of Jesus is noticeably different from the other gospel writers. It is not connected, per se, with the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Its purpose is revelatory, that Jesus may be made known to Israel. For John, 
a simple chronicle of events, okay, was never going to be enough. He wished to, uh, as Paul Bennett once said, fill in the gaps, per se, okay? And he does so with a richness that has the Old Testament as its backdrop, right? John uses things that are familiar to explain things that are unfamiliar, right? What do I mean? The Gospel of John has clear intention to establish Christ as the fulfillment of history, if you will, the fulfillment of Old Testament history. And we see this in the opening verses where he talks about the beginning, taking us back to the book of Genesis and those words, in the beginning. In the Gospel of John, we hear words like days, light, and darkness. John strategically wishes to use these words so as to draw us back into the story of creation, right? Where we read of days, light, and and darkness. You can have so much fun with John, you see, because when you look at the text carefully, what you find is even in things like woman being the first expression of man. In Genesis, right? It's Adam to Eve. In the Gospel of John, read carefully. What's the first expression of Christ? Woman in the wedding feast at Cana. Okay. Now, we might miss that. Why? Because for for those of us out there who like to read both the Old and New Testament in its chapters, we stop at the end of maybe chapter one in the Gospel of John. And we forget it, you know, it it was never written so as to be read in in that way necessarily. You you go from one chapter to, to the next each day. No, I mean, there was no stop per se when you're reading the Gospel of John like that. No, the end of the chapter one, you would start chapter two with the wedding feast at Cana. There was no stop. So you just read it in sequence. And this is important because once again, you're reading the biblical text as the first century Christians read the biblical text, right? So in the gospel of John, he not only uses things familiar to explain things that are, that are unfamiliar, but he does so with intent and purpose, right? Genesis is about a new beginning, a new creation. John wants us to see that the new Adam, Christ, has come to establish a new beginning, that we might become a new creation. You know, I read for you chapter 1, verses 29 to 34, and you'll go to Mass and you'll hear these same verses. But the preceding 28 verses are replete with Old Testament images. How about John 1.14? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. The Greek Greek there, uh, Tabernaculus, pitched his tent. 
Once again, John is making a link between the incarnation of Jesus and the erection of the wilderness tab- uh, tabernacle that you find in, uh, in Exodus 25. The tabernacle, once the architectural expression of Yahweh's presence in Israel, really was a prophetic image of Jesus dwelling in our midst as a man. So as the wisdom of God once tabernacled in Israel in the Torah of Moses, we find Jesus essentially the embodiment of divine wisdom in the flesh. I go there and talk about this because if we're going to understand what John is talking about in verse 29, we have to have that deep sense of where John is going. I mean, stop and really think about this. A man says to another man, and says for all of us to hear, behold the Lamb of God. This is funny language. This is funny language. Behold the Lamb of God. I mean, imagine if someone walked into your bedroom, into your living room, and your buddy says to you, behold, the goat of Yahweh. <laughs> what, what is that? The very idea that a man is, is tied to the, an animal figure, what does that mean? Well, it means a lot. And we should be asking that question ultimately because it is strange. It is unique. Now, the Bible doesn't read like any other book, <laughs> you know? It just simply doesn't. You know, J.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings, uh, C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Nar- Narnia, their reads wish to evoke, you know, images, signs, and symbols. And they do so in wonderful allegory. But what they want us to see, those authors and many others, is that the way to grab hold of our imagination is through signs and symbols. But in this passage, when we were talking about the Lamb of God, it's more it's a sign, it's a symbol, but now they're incarnate, okay? There's a deeper meaning, a flesh meaning to them. So this phrase, Lamb of God, essentially points to the sacrificial dimension of our Lord's mission. You know, we, we can go back into Exodus 12, where the Lamb of God was prefigured by the Passover in Exodus. The Lamb's blood was a mark of divine protection for Israel. Its flesh was eaten in a liturgical meal. We also see, of course, the suffering servant as a lamb in Isaiah. This is important to really appreciate because ultimately what John is doing for us is he's an author. He's developing the story. And remember what I said in the beginning, he's kind of filling in the gaps. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what do I mean by that? You know, filling the gaps. Were these evangelists, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were they insufficient? Well, they're called the synoptic gospels because they, they tell the story of Christ in a, in a kind of chronicled, chronicled way. 
in a, in a kind of narrative, if you will. Certainly, there's a lot of rich theology. But what John does is he goes deeper. He soars, right? John, the symbol of John is an eagle because he soars. And he wants us to soar with Christ. John is considered the theologian. You heard me talk about this earlier this week. You know, where when we talk about theology or what does it mean to be a theologian, my dear friends and my dear listeners, we have to appreciate that simply a theologian is one who is in faith seeking understanding. John is a theologian and he calls us to say, hey, roll up your sleeves and start working in the tall grass so as to see the beauty of the revelation of Jesus Christ and how he has come just not to fulfill the Old Testament, but at once transform it and give it this new dynamism, this new power, this new forcefulness. This is the wonder of sacred scripture that we can begin to just appreciate the power essentially of reading the old and new as this wonderful symmetry of divine revelation. So, now, I want to pause here because before I go any further, we have the image of the Lamb of God, the flesh dwelt dwelt among us. What he's wanting us to see is that Ultimately, yes, he's fulfilling, yes, he's transforming, but he's calling us forward to ask the question, why? What does this mean for me? And (laughs) he later reveals this in John chapter 6. And I'm not going to go through the whole chapter now, but I just want to highlight the words that we read in John chapter 6, verse 53. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He's already said it once. He's reinforcing what he's already said. Why? Because this is not merely a symbol. In fact, if you go into the Greek, there's a fascinating study in John chapter 6 when you really go in the Greek. Because if you read chapter 6 in the Greek, what you find is when he uses the word eat, it is translated in the same way that we might think of eat. Simply to eat as we eat dinner, eat any meal. But there's a transition that begins to happen once he begins to reinforce this. And that transition is a beautiful, beautiful study. So the word for eat in verse 54 in John chapter 6 is a verb meaning chew or gnaw. It is used five times in the fourth gospel. That is John. And only once elsewhere in the New Testament. Okay, it marks a noticeable shift in Jesus' teaching, which up until verse 53-54 made use of a more common verb that I already spoke to, okay? 
And the change in vocabulary then marks a change of focus and emphasis from the necessity of faith to the actual consumption of the Eucharist. The graphic, and I dare say almost crude, connotation of this verb adds greater force to the repetition of the words. He demands that we express our faith by eating, in a very real and physical way, his life-giving flesh in the sacrament. Now, if there would be any confusion to whether or not this was a symbol or not, (laughs) all you have to do is go to the following verses where the disciples leave him. Think about this, my friends. If this was just a symbol, if this was just a symbol, would they leave him? Who can listen to these words, they say? These are barbaric words. So the men who slept with him, ate with him, drank with him, who, who witnessed these miracles upon something symbolic, say, who can listen to this? No, 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 no. Something more is going on. And when we see in the Greek the shift in language, where it moves from ordinary eating to this chewing and gnawing. And what's interesting is the plural Greek, post verse 54, speaks to this kind of and implies this constant consumption of the flesh. So, it's, it's point, <laughs> when we eat of the new Lamb of God in this new liturgical meal and drink his blood, we will have eternal life. Now, the image of the Lamb also speaks to John's image that he uses in the victorious apocalyptic Lamb, right? In Revelation 5, Revelation 17. Christ's blood is God's victory, and our sharing in this flesh and blood is our way, my dear friends, of sharing in the power of God and ultimately the calling to share in the transformation of history. You know, people in the early Christian church died believing in this great truth defending, ultimately, this great truth. It's really fun when you go into some of these early Christian thinkers, these church fathers, to read their commentaries as they were going to their death. Words like, I'm a lamb being led to the slaughterhouse. What were they thinking? I am a libation being poured out, sharing in the sacrificial lamb. Now, this is important because, again, John wants us to see that Christ is fulfilling, he's transforming, and he's calling us to share in this transformation. That being said, there is this additional meaning, particular to the idea of a lamb. Lambs suffer violence. They do not inflict it. 
They are, we can say, universal symbols of innocence. They've always been favorite animals for sacrifice. So when John the Baptist refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God, yes, he is the new Passover sacrifice. He is one who is innocent, who is to be led to the slaughterhouse. He reveals so much to us, my friends. We too are called to be lambs in this sense, sharing in the meal of the one lamb. Now, all that being said, I want to be sure to hit another point and to draw it out before we close. And that's the real meaning of what it means to be a martyr. Okay. You know, Baptism gives us the grace of bearing witness to truth. And sometimes that might lead to the ultimate witness of laying down our very lives because once again, we are associated with and marked by Jesus Christ. In fact, the very word martyr, the Greek martyria means to witness, is a person who for their Christian faith freely and patiently suffer death at the hands of a persecutor. Martyrs choose to die rather than deny their faith by word and deed. They suffer patiently after the examples or example of Christ, following the examples of those who have also gone before him, who have imitated Christ in their suffering. True martyrs die for holy causes. False martyrs die for unholy of causes. 911, for example. Faith and reason, my friends. There was no reason in 911. The era of martyrdom, though, is not something of the past. I don't want us to think and reduce this to the first and second, third centuries. No, not at all. In fact, the 20th century was one of incredible Christian martyrdom. And they too were witnessing 2,000 years later what it means to die for a holy cause, die for Jesus Christ, die for the sake of witnessing to truth in love, that they might get our attention. You know, Tertullian once said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of our faith. What does he mean by that? That our own blood would share and the one blood of the Lamb of God would be a way of awakening us to our true Christian vocation, that everything we, we may do might be an offering to God. You know, I talk about martyrdom within the context of laying down your life, but there is another martyrdom, giving everything to God in all that we do, that it might become, as Paul says in Romans 12, verses 1 to 3, our spiritual worship, holy and acceptable to God. So martyrdom gives credibility to authentic Christian witnesses who do not seek power or gain, but give their own lives for Christ. They show to the world the power weaponless and full of love for men that is given to those who follow Christ to the point of the total donation of their existence. 
Christians from the dawn of Christianity until our own time have undergone persecution on the account of the gospel, the good news. Remember, my friends, (laughs) in that wonderful verse, do this in remembrance of me. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. The word covenant can also mean testament. This is the blood of the new testament. And those words that we are given as the institution of the Eucharist essentially become the New Testament. You see, for the first few centuries, when they talked about the New Testament, they talked about the flesh of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb, because this is what Christ said it was. You see, we think of New Testament today and we just equate it with the Word of God insofar as the biblical text. But no, it was the Word made flesh. You see, this is, this is important stuff to know as we wrap up our program tonight. Because ultimately, when we receive our Lord in the Eucharist, we receive the power to be a more fervent witness in our faith that others around us might look at who we are and what we do as something different, something different from the world, because we are holy. Remember, holiness simply means to be set apart. When we are sanctified in Jesus Christ, we are set apart for a holy purpose. And we must be reflections of this great truth. So the words, Lamb of God, reflect that great sacrificial dimension of Christ's mission that we share in. And that is the essence of this evening's program. That all of salvation history is caught up in Christ's sacrificial dimension that we share in. Amen. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. And God bless you. You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at jholljmj at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.